It's time for the best 60 minutes of your life. This is the Homer Hour, broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's One Call That's All studio at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee. Alongside former Packer Brian Balaga, here's Emmy Award winner Homer. The greatest 60 minutes of your day. I used to say of your life and then... Somebody said that I was going too far. It's like, tomorrow's show could be better. Maybe the next show when Brian Zulaga's on. Yes, the Green Bay Packers against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Reggie White 30 for 30 was on last night. I don't need to watch it. Joined now by Brian Bulaga. He'll be nice to everybody, and then I'll give my explanation. <laughs> Doc, Good morning. how you doing? You know, I, 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 I'm all... Confused today because we didn't have a Monday show, so I almost said good morning. It's really good evening. I'm all over the place tonight, um, but good evening. How you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Uh, have you recovered? Or when you were a player, I'm assuming the players on the Packer team are disappointed. You're always disappointed when you lose, but some losses more disappointing. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 would be losing to an elementary school team, where, if you were on this team, would this loss rank? Yeah, I mean, th- this would be, for me as a player, this would be an 8 or 9. This would Whoa. be an 8 or 9. Do um, you remember 8 or 9s that you had? I would assume, because I yeah. certainly remember my worst tennis matches. We lost I mean, 6-0, 6-0 in a match once, and it wasn't that close. But anyway, so I don't have yeah. to ask them, but I just you, you still remember them. Yeah, probably the worst one I remember is when we lost to Arizona the year the, the game that Mike McCarthy got fired after. Arizona, I don't think, had won a game or they had one win. Um, and they were in Lambeau Field, and they they beat us up. And we lost, and Mike McCarthy got fired the next day. So, um, And I'll bet you felt terrible, and you felt personally responsible as much as one could for the coach getting fired. Is that even close uh, to the truth? 100%. You feel guilty about it. Yeah. You feel guilty about it. You feel responsible for it um, as players, no matter what, right? So people could say, well, the coach needs to go. It's this, that. I mean, you feel responsible when a coach gets fired or something doesn't go right because you're the one on the field doing it. So, I mean, I, I can tell you the whole locker room, you know, no one wants to see a coach get fired midseason. And I can tell you, the, I remember the locker room after that. It, it was very somber. We'll put it that way. When um, did you think it was possible going into the game that if we lose, they might fire him? I can't believe that was in anybody's mind. It certainly was a shock to us. I just assumed he was going to coach to the end of the year, even if they lost every game by 50. Yeah, no, that wasn't even a thought in our mind, to be honest with you. Obviously, we knew there was going to be serious discussions at the end of the season whether or not he would still be the head coach but I don't think anyone thought that with I think there were three or four games left after that one that he was going to be fired um so when it happened it took everyone by by you know shock it took me by shock I mean like I said I felt terrible um when it happened but uh little nobody thought we would lose the Cardinals either that's the whole part of the thing that no one on the team thought we were going to lose to Arizona so it was just a like a 48 hours of just absolute, you know, like nightmarish feelings. Losing that game, then McCarthy gets fired shortly after. It was just, it was miserable. So you think this team, had you been on it, not the loss of the coach, but the magnitude or the belief that you had of winning the game, 
that for them it might be an eight or so. I think so. I think this was a game that everyone in that locker room uh, walked onto that field that night and said, we're, we're going we're gonna to whoop up on these guys. I think everyone in their head thought that they were going to do that, and we all know that they have the personnel capable of doing that. And they went out there and they, they had a clunker, man. It was a clunker. And um, when that when those zeros or when that clock struck zero at the end of that game, every guy in that locker room must have felt awful because that's an opportunity gone. It's an opportunity gone and one that potentially they look back at in four weeks and go, that was the one. Not the Atlanta game early on or – or the Pittsburgh game, not no, this one, because this is when they were playing really well. They were playing the best they have all season, obviously, with the teams that they've beaten, and they should have gone in there and taken care of business. And right, before- now we get to the big question that everybody wants to ask you, because everybody has an opinion. They weren't ready for the game. They are overrated. What? I mean, they're a hundred, but I want to hear it from you as to. How did they lose, or why did they lose? What would you tell all the fans, having lived it, what the, what the truth is, not what you think it is? Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to say that they were overconfident or anything like that because it, it, they, they just don't have that aura and vibe to them. But what I think they did was that they underestimated the team that they were playing. Oh. I think, yeah, I think started they, with the quarterback. Yes, I, yep. think they under, I think they underestimated them. I think they, the Green Bay, that is, thought they'd go into MetLife and this team would probably lay down after a quarter. Well, when you allow a team that is bad to hang in a game for for even a quarter, they get belief. And they get belief that they can stay with you all game. And when you continue to allow teams like that to hang around, hang around, hang around, they normally end up winning. And that's exactly what we saw Monday night. So that's not made up. That's what coaches say. You better step on them early. That's just not coach speak. You believe that's fact. Oh, that is fact. That is absolute. Anytime we played these teams, and we called them wounded animal teams, they're bad. We know they stink. You can see it on tape that they stink. And if you don't go, especially on the road, if you don't go into their place and put out the fire early and just absolutely suck the life out of them early and – get up by two touchdowns right in the first quarter and really take the life out of them, they're going to hang around and fight you because they got, you know, what do they have to lose? They have nothing to lose. They have confidence now that they just hung around, especially in this last game against Green Bay. Hey, man, everyone's talking about how good Green Bay is. We're playing them, and we're hanging in there with them. They just beat the Chiefs. They just, you know, they beat the Chargers. They, you know, and they beat the Lions, and here we are. We're hanging with them. Well, what's the big deal about this team now? And then you give that team belief. And, again, you see the results. All right, now we get to the next big question. When did the doc, Brian Bulaga, watching the game go, "Uh uh-oh? Doesn't mean you thought they were going to lose the game, but you started thinking just what you told us, that, man, the Giants, they they could could be thinking. I'm just curious how early that crossed your mind. Um, I mean, when they tied at 7-7 or – Packers are 10-7 at half. You're not up by as much. What? I think at halftime, 10-7, it wasn't, it wasn't clear enough. It wasn't, it wasn't good enough at halftime to make me feel that they, they got this settled because they, they've allowed this team to hang around for, you know, for what, 30 minutes at that point? They, you know, they're, they're hanging out for 30 minutes. 
nothing's really separating the game. There's nothing that you saw on offense or defense that it was like, oh man, this side's going to take over in the second half, and we're just going to we're going to run away with this. It was a close game. And oh, no, I the, don't want to know. I don't know what you were thinking when the Packers then when they stopped the the Giants, but then fumbled. I know you said. I don't know if you said they're going to lose this game, but I know you said they could lose this game. Right there. I did. Was it I when did. the ball was fumbled or when the Giants scored? I think when they scored. Okay. When they scored, I, I was I was watching it with a Giants fan, my neighbor. And he was freaking out. And I, I literally sat there. I'm like, Green Bay can lose this game. Legitimately, they can lose this game. Why was he freaking out? Because they were still close or he, was, he assumed yeah. the worst? Well, he he because he, he hadn't seen his team play a team as good as Green Bay that competitive all season. Yep. So like he felt really good about it, and you know the 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 Devito guy with his hands and his agent kissing his dad <laughs> in the stands. I mean, everyone's loving it. I mean, it's just a everything that the Packers did allowed that energy to happen in that stadium, and it bit him in the butt. All right, let me ask about your friend who's a Giant fan because I think. After the Packers scored at the end of the game and they're ahead, he had to be saying, here they did it again. I wouldn't have thought they could lose one, but the Giants just did it again. There's no way he believed they were going to go down the field and get the field goal. Agree? Oh, yeah, no. He said, he goes, that's it. He goes, that's done. They can't do it. And then they did it, and I just sat there quiet. I sat there quiet the the whole two minutes. The whole time you knew it could happen because, again, once you let the team in, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew anything could happen in that two-minute drive. Anything could happen. And the way we played coverage in that two-minute drive allowed it to happen. We allowed that to happen. Yes, what do they say? It's been said for years, the prevent defense prevents victories. Um, but I yeah. don't know, what is that? did that stand out to you as a player? You're watching, uh, again, they went uh, 53 yards in four plays after – going 105 yards in passing in the first 30, what, uh, 58 and a half minutes. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it was, I I just, I never understood, and and I was part of these games, and, like, I'm not sitting here bashing Dom Capers. You loved it as as an offensive guy. You're going, ah, there it is. I loved it when Aaron could just throw eight, nine-yard routes and guys would catch the ball and be able to run with it. I loved when they gave our running backs on first down six yards over the ball wide open. You could just dump it to them on the first play and get positive momentum going on a drive. I mean, that's all that is. You're giving these offenses, when you allow that to happen, just little jump starters, little bits of confidence and belief. And when you sit back and just allow offenses to do what you want, man, like – you. There was no shock what happened, and and I want to I want to ask it. you this because I've heard it offensive players say that on that drive the first play is so huge, and you'd say no, not the first first down, the first play. And if I was a defensive coordinator, I would be so aggressive on that first play, not based on what I believe, but what I've heard quarterbacks and offenses people that will know. Well, then if you get if you still got second down, no, that for anything on that first play just to get it going. Am I overstating yep. the importance of that first play? No, it's all about the first play. It's all about the first play because it's even if you don't get a first down and you get positive yardage, you're moving, right? You're up at the line. You're uh, yeah. moving. Everything's going now. So, like, we gave them 
too many easy throws and yeah. easy plays on that last drive, and, and you gave him momentum. And, like, his deepest ball was that drive, right, the 32-yarder. And, and, like, come on. Like, all game, they, I mean, all game it wasn't happening, and then we allow it, you know, in the two-minute drive. It just – I think you got to start playing normal defense in these situations, especially against a quarterback that you want him to beat you. Like, beat us. We're not going to let you do it. You beat us. Let's be aggressive and make you earn this win, not just give you easy throws and allow it to, to happen to us. All right. If you were on the team, have you moved on? What's the, it's, a, it's a Monday night game, so it's a short week coming up. What's the transformation um, that you believe is reality and then what the coaches try to do? Yeah, I mean, I think these guys let that hurt for about a day, and they're and – they're, they're well moved on. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where you're not even sure as a coach or even as a player if you're going to watch it. My guess is they watched it because they are a young team and they need to see what they did wrong and what happened. Uh, but with a veteran team, there's a chance that we probably wouldn't even watch that tape. We would have gone over wow. some things. There's, we would have gone over some things in the team meeting. Um, How many games do you remember where you didn't watch a tape? At least – at least six or seven. Wow. Yeah. So we're just like, hey, not hey, we got to move year, on. But not one a year, but it can it can happen once a year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Hey, we got to move on. Like like we can talk about what happened. We can watch a couple of clips in your O line room or individual room to see what you did wrong. But we got to move on to Tampa. We got bigger things going on right now. Like we we can't stay locked in on this loss. We got everything still ahead of us. We need to move on and start getting ready. We got a short week and, and get going. But how do you know when the players are buying that versus the coaches saying it? Do you just not know until the next game or you've been around yeah. after such games? Yeah, I mean I think players want to move on too. Players always move on quicker than coaches. So when you allow the players yeah, when you allow players to move on even quicker, it's better for them at times. So I'm I'm, wow. I'm not sure if Matt made them watch it or not. I, I guess he did because, like I said, they're a younger team. But when it's a veteran squad, sometimes, I mean, I know it happened to us a couple times. Like, we got to move on. Got a short week. We got to start getting ready for Tampa or whoever. You know what? We got to move on, too. And that means Jason Willie because you wanted him on Thursdays to talk about the next game, even before you knew what it was week to week. Especially move on, Jason Willie, quarter two, next. Jason Wilde is brought to you by Boucher Automotive, where we ride with you every mile. 18 dealerships, 15 brands, and thousands of vehicles in stock. Check them out at Boucher.com. My favorite segment of the week because I do absolutely nothing and I'm proud of it. Brian Bulaga, the doctor, has questions for Jason Wilde. Uh, and, of course, he's the kindest of the two. So take it away, Doc. Jason, good evening. How you doing? I'm not good. Not good. Oh, oh no. Well, that's well. That's what Homer likes to hear on a on a Thursday evening. I do. I do have one quick question because we need a discount liquor Twitter poll question. Giannis scored sixty five. How many points will Giannis score uh, in his career? The most he'll score um, sixty uh, at sixty four. What what was it last sixty four last night? No, I forgot. Forgot the number. Um, oh, you forgot. Uh, yeah. All right. Nice all right. Work. More than that, uh, that will be his career. More than 70, more than 80, more than 90. 
What do you think the answer is at? I say more than 80. I believe he could score 100 if he wanted to, but I say he'll finish his high career high will be more than 80. Jason, what do you say? The current number, more than 70, more than 80, or more than 90. What's your, what's your uh, vote? I vote he will have a 70-point game at some point. Okay. Uh, Doc, I, Brian Bulaga? I, I agree, 70. 70. All right. You guys need to think bigger. All right, back to you guys uh, and, uh, and, and sorry. questions from the doctor. No, it's, I know what it was like to be wrong. Once I had the South of the Civil War, I, I just don't know. I was too hooked on Robert E. Lee. I just thought he was a winner. All right, take it away. Jason, uh, <laughs> uh, obviously uh, quite the injury list of some guys today. What do we know about Elton Jenkins? What What is he – are we looking as, at this potentially as being out this week? I don't think so. I think – now, we didn't, we didn't ask about Elton. They, they, have a, uh, they have kind of a schedule with him, though. Uh, not that he's on the Chad Clifton, Brian Bulaga, David Bakhtiari plan. But I think they just play it safe with him on Thursdays. Now, if he doesn't practice tomorrow, then we'll have a different conversation. But, you know, the big concern is running back. I mean, yeah. A.J. Dillon's got a broken thumb. That's not good. Uh, did you ever break a bone in your hand? Did you ever play with one of those clubs? Because, as I said to Steno today, I've seen plenty of offensive linemen play with a club. I don't think I've seen many running backs play with a broken thumb. Yeah, I broke a finger, but we I didn't play with a club. We taped it up because I, I couldn't play with a club. There'd be no way. So we, we taped it up and jerry-rigged it for a couple weeks until it actually felt somewhat better. But Why couldn't you play never, with a club? I thought, like, uh, that's like a weapon. It's a great tool, I thought. I, I wasn't a puncher. I was a grabber. So if I, if, oh. I couldn't, if I couldn't grab jersey or shoulder pad or something, I couldn't play. So I, I needed to yeah, figure out a way short to Short arms. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was, it was, it was a short arm issue for me. So, uh, so, so I, I never did it, but it, I mean, it was, it was a painful couple weeks while I was figuring that out. I'll put yeah. it that way. It did not feel good. Um, so if Dylan doesn't play, which it's going to be hard for a running back with a broken thumb to play and Aaron He's Jones playing. is, He's not playing. And Aaron, yeah. And Aaron Jones is going to obviously be limited very limited with his first game back. Yeah, if he plays himself, right? Yeah, if he plays, we're we're looking at Taylor, I mean, and he looked good Taylor. last week. I'm not I, I I'm not near as worried. I thought he was very good, but you guys thought, are the pro. I thought you I thought you'd take this segment off. I couldn't. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> I mean, it, it, are we looking at potentially Taylor? starting the football game over Aaron Jones. Yeah, potentially. I mean, look, uh, Aaron Jones has missed the last three games. As I have learned in my many years covering knuckleheads like you, you guys always think you're going to play. I mean, always. Yeah. Right? In that 14 season, you tore your MCL, and you missed yep. the Jets game in week two, and then you never missed another game, which was amazing. Correct. Yeah. Especially yeah. for a guy with your – knee history and so you know you know Aaron Jones talking today talked like he thinks he's going to play so great if that ends up being the case but you know generally speaking most of you guys are prideful guys and you're going to do everything you can but at some point the medical staff has to protect you from yourselves and say no no you're not ready yet let's wait another week 
So I don't know yeah. if he's going to play. So if he doesn't and Dylan can't play, uh, and I suppose Dylan could play and carry the ball in his left hand because he is capable of that. He carries with each hand. But if neither one of those two guys goes, it's Patrick Taylor followed by followed by uh, Kenyon Drake. Oh. Like Kenyon Drake, yeah. who's been here like a week. Yeah. Not good. I look at it as not good. Yeah, what, I, what I do just you... don't think it's – like, look, I, I know Kenyon Drake has played a lot of ball. I looked it yep. up. He's carried 868 times in the NFL. So it's not like he's a rookie like Ellis Merriweather, who is the other practice squad running back. But, first of all, you don't want to go into a game with only two backs. So Correct. if you don't – if if – I mean, and even, I suppose, even if Jones is active – you got to be at least hedging on that, right? Because you you know what kind of season he's had, and he's yep. coming back from an injury, so you're not guaranteed that he can go, you know, twenty, thirty, forty plays. So now you have to call up Merriweather and Drake from the practice squad, which I would argue, like, I guess I'd rather obviously have Kenyon Drake, who's played as much as he has, because Ellis Merriweather has never played the NFL before and is an undrafted rookie free agent from UMass. But, like, as if, as if they have not had a tough enough season, right, with Luke Musgrave lacerating a kidney and all the time Jones has missed and Christian Watson and his hamstrings constantly being a concern. The idea of trying to go into this game, if somehow they end up with Kenyon Drake, Patrick Taylor, and Ellis Merriweather as their running backs against a pretty good defense. Like, Tampa's not a great team, obviously, but their defense is pretty good. They're good in the red yep. zone. They're good on third down. They're good against the run. I mean, that's a problematic uh, soup that they're going to be facing. Yes, I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. This defense, they, they can stop the run. They can stop the run. And every, Listen, they're, like you said, they're not a great team, but there's one thing to do. I mean, you've got to block Vita Vea. And I'm worried if Elton's got a bad shoulder, who's going to block Vita Vea? Like, there's certain things that I'm concerned about with this game. Do I think the Packers win? Yes, but there are things I'm concerned about. Uh, here's my next one. While the wait four a minute, wait says, a minute. How do you think they're going to win? You just throw it. I think they're going to win. Everything you've said makes me think you don't think they're going to win. Why, how, no, why are no. they going to win? Well, we, we haven't run the ball effectively all year. So like it's really it's not like it's not like that's a part of the game that right. oh my gosh sorry to interrupt to do this. Comment. No, yeah, but Tampa's like, offense isn't great either. So like the, yeah, it's definitely a home game that's winnable. But to Brian's point too, like let me not, let me also add that while Dontavian Wicks, who also falls under the category of like you know he's got a high ankle sprain. And I, I have to admit, I rolled my eyes at him yesterday when I was talking to him one-on-one, and he said, no, I think I'm going to be able to play. Uh-huh, sure you are. Uh-huh. And then he was able to practice on a limited basis today, so maybe he can. No, then and it's not a high can. ankle sprain. Jason, it's not high, you know, high, that's not a high ankle sprain. I don't I'm know not, what you'd call it. Uh, well, I, I'm not a doctor. You're not but a But you doctor. know, high You're ankle the sprains, the they're serious. You're out is, for a while, right? Right. Do you know any? I'll, I'll ask Doctor Bullock. You have somebody has a high ankle sprain. They ain't playing. It's just a question of how long they're out. I mean, Am I, wrong? I had one. I had one in 2017, the year I tore my ACL. I I had a high ankle in camp, 
I got rolled into on one of the last plays of a nine on seven drill that not sure why we were doing it, but we were doing it in a, and I got rolled into high, bad high ankle sprain. It never healed until I tore my ACL and got off of it. And I didn't play for yeah. the first four weeks and my foot yes. was numb all the way up till the time I tore my ACL against Detroit. My foot was numb. I couldn't feel it. So like, it, I guess there's severity and degrees of a high ankle, but if he's able to run and do all that on it, it's not that bad of a high ankle. It's not or, that bad. Or, or, or he's just, uh, like, again, this, today's practice was 15 minutes of individual work and then walk through. So oh, the idea nice. of him being able to be limited uh, may be a little bit misleading. And perhaps yeah. he's – so, so now my point is, is that you're, you can't run the ball. Uh, and now if you don't have Watson, who – I would be I would be surprised if he plays in this game, uh, and you don't have Wicks, and you've got Reed dealing with chest and ankle injuries, but not but he's at least you know good to go from the concussion standpoint. And in my opinion, one of my guys that I really liked last year, who I just feel like has been inconsistent this year, Dobbs, and then Samari Toure, and Malik Heath, who we like the things he's done of late, but. You know, he's still an inconsistent guy. Like, he made a mistake uh, in the Chiefs game, came back and made a play after that, drops yep. or doesn't complete the catch on a touchdown uh, against the Giants, and then comes back. Like, I love that he comes back from mistakes, but it doesn't change the fact he's making mistakes. So, you know, now you're suddenly looking at an offense that not only has struggled to run the ball all year, but now you're starting to get to that point where you really do have to be a little concerned about just how how many – injuries in the past game can you uh survive before it really impacts your ability to be effective i agree all right jason i do have a question that i want to get to before homer cuts us off i saw in the press conference i saw joe barry said in the press conference that uh valentine or i think it was valentine didn't get the Uh call about what coverage he was supposed to be in uh, on yeah. a play, and that there's miscommunication along the defense of what coverage is supposed to be played. When I get you're on the road, but it's quiet in the stadium, you're on defense and offense is at work, so it's quiet. Communication should be okay. What are, did, did you talk to any of the guys in the locker room about the communication issues of what's kind of going on in the field in important situations and why guys are blowing calls or not getting calls? So the, that I did not know. I, I went into the press conference with Barry this afternoon after open locker room with the intent of I want to get to the bottom of this. And, and I kind of buttered him up by saying, look, Joe, I know I, I've learned a few things about you in these three years, and one of them is you're not the kind of coach who throws these guys under the bus. But, you know, Matt mentioned it, the third play of the go-ahead drive at the end of the game, that you guys were playing way too far off the receiver and Slayton gets nine yards on the completion. And then the next play is the 32 yarder. Is that the call or is that a young corner not playing the call correctly? Cause I, I just wanted it answered, right? Like I understand, you know, and I would never do this as a coach either. I don't want to throw guys under the bus. I don't want to blame, you know, he did this, but it, it is an important distinction because it's the difference between what the hell are you calling that for? And, oh, it's a young guy who messed up and didn't do what he was supposed to do. Instead, we ended up with something that I would argue is a mistake on both sides of the coin, that you know, Joe Barry said that the, the, the hardest person 
to get the call to in a two-minute situation is the far corner. If it's the near corner by your sideline, you can just yell to, in this case, Corey Ballantyne, hey, you know, press man or whatever it would have been that he would have said. But Carrington Valentine was supposed to play up further on Slayton. He did not. The clock was running. That apparently indicates, too, that you want to play up on him. Uh, I would argue that with Danny DeVito at quarterback, I don't think you're worried about him going up over the top on you, but whatever. Uh, And so what Joe's argument was was that Carrington Valentine played it safe, that he didn't know what the call was, so he thought, well, best that I at least play off of him, and if he gets a catch in front of me and I run him out of bounds, that's not the end of the world. Again, uh, I would like to think that Young players, even at this point, uh, you know, 12 games in or 13 games in, you know, you can't be not getting calls in critical moments. So whether that's the defensive coordinator relaying it down from the booth to the sideline and that not getting uh, to Carrington Valentine or Carrington Valentine not looking for it, whatever the case is, when the game is on the line, and I know it's only a nine-yard completion, it's really the next play that is the big play, the 32-yarder, those are the kinds of mistakes that at this point in the season you probably need to be passed. And the Jason, fact that they weren't is a problem. Right. It seems as is miscommunication you talked about all the time. Is that just a reflection of Joe Barry willing to admit it, or is it fair for an outsider like me to go, damn, that seems to be talked about so often. It would make me think the system has some problems. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't think they've had – major communication issues okay. this year, especially right. especially when you think about how Keyshawn Nixon is the only guy that's played uh, right. all of the games in the back end. Um, so I, I don't think it's a – I'll say this. In his first two years, the first year especially, and then during about half of last season, there were plenty of communication issues. I don't think it's been that big of a deal this year. I think they've been better. All right, and my last one is – uh, in general, we know he doesn't care about stopping the run, even though he has said that. I'm also thinking that his philosophy isn't to very much based on who they're playing, who the quarterback is, that he believes that we have a system, we play the system, and you're better off over the course of the season than adjusting all the time to who the quarterback is. is... I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, I would right. agree with that. Now, now I, I do think, you know, I do think one thing that really, and, and I, I didn't get it in today, I, and I'd like to ask him somewhere other than a press conference. I still think that when it comes to stopping the run, I think the turning point for him was when they went into that Tennessee game last year and they said, under no circumstances are we going to let Derrick Henry beat us and we're going to shut him down. And they did. Unfortunately, Ryan Tannehill threw for 337 yards or whatever because yep. as much as they committed to stopping the run, they then let him have a field day against them. I think he had two or three incompletions all night. So I, 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 I feel like that scarred Joe Barry to some degree, and, and it went to a point of, hey, we're going to try to stop the run. We think we can win even if we don't do a great job of it, uh, but I'm not going to have that happen again where some quarterback who shouldn't beat us beats us and you know obviously Tannehill is a lot more experienced than Tommy DeVito but yeah. I almost feel like the reason because I think all three of us would agree that if I'm coordinating that defense I'm saying look I'm going to make the third string undrafted rookie free agent from Illinois beat me uh, and yeah. not let not let him run not let Saquon Barkley beat me 
I want to make them throw the football effectively and efficiently, and I don't think they probably did a good enough job of that in the game. Jason, I'm going to have to let you go, and I want to do this now so that the doctor, Brian Bulaga, feels good about getting his question in and saying, I better get it in now before Homer cuts us off. So I don't want to disappoint Thanks, Homer. Not Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> all right, guys. Take care. Be good. Jason, Jason. Wildey, all Packers all the time. Uh, Wildey and Towson, I don't mention the other shows often enough, and uh, they'll get mad at me about that at some point. But not they haven't yet. Uh, with game ball, we're going to talk more about Tampa, but also game balls because it became an issue with uh, the Bucks last night and Giannis. And, yes, I, I should remember he scored 64. I, I believe if he wanted to, again, he could he could go after Wilton in 100. Um, but that's our discount liquor Twitter poll question. Is that going to be his career high in the 70s, as Jason said, as Dr. Balaga said, in the 80s, as I said, and also in the 90s? I didn't have the guts to go all the way to the top. 91 is what uh, Giannis should go for. Third quarter, it'll be a little shorter. Next. I tell you to go to Robert Hack Diamonds because I know you're going to get more for less. I say, go wherever you want, but just make sure you go there. When you do, you'll realize I'm right. You go, man, Homer, how do you know all this stuff? Robert Hack Diamonds sells lab-grown diamonds at crazy prices. How about two-carat total-weight diamonds, diamond studs for $999. Robert Hack Diamonds, any size, shape, or clarity in natural or lab-grown diamonds. Don't buy until you go to Robert Hack Diamonds, $999 for a two-carat pair of diamond studs. Hope. Robert Hack Diamonds. Go to roberthackdiamonds.com. Go there whenever you want, because when you go there, it's over. We'd like to thank Jason Wildey. That was nice. Uh, uh, I, he just loves answering your questions. He likes to make fun of me for that, but you well, have you know, questions. You're kind of I an do. injury guy. I've learned you about Thursday. Thir- the injuries are very important for those who weren't listening the week. You talked about how that's the day when you yeah. assess who's going to play. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really like to know because I think it, like I said last week, I think it gives you a really good idea of kind of the team you're going to see on the field. And obviously, you know, he said he thinks Elton's going to be fine. I saw the injury report Elton with a shoulder. I didn't know he had a shoulder issue until this week. So like that was kind of new to me. I don't know if, if that's been something that's been an issue, but that was kind of new to me. So that's kind of what I have my eyes on right now. Um, especially when you're going up against a D lineman like Vita Vea. It's a big deal. So How good is he? Uh, he's very good. He's very good. He's You've talked incredible. about other defensive linemen that are very good. Um, where does he rank in, amongst those that you have talked about um, this year? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look interior-wise, he's probably up there in the – top 12, top 10 interior run stoppers and, and okay. pass rushers. He, he's so big. Like, he's, he's enormous. And I'm sure everyone can see that on TV. Wait a um, minute. You've said this before. You were enormous. What qualifies enormous? Height and weight or what? Yeah, you know, It's like saying he's like, a big bear. All the bears are big. No, like, he. I think if, if he doesn't weigh 350 pounds, I'd right. be absolutely shocked. And the thing about him is that he's quick. He's very quick. So, you know, you, you normally see these big guys like I used to go against, like Vince Wilferk and uh, even a guy in the on the Packers, Pickett. They were big men. They weren't overly quick. They had a good first two steps, and then once you got 
you know, in front of them. You couldn't push them, but you got your body in front of them, and you could create a run lane one way or the other. Vita Vea is, like, fast. Like, he, he, he moves so well. So a, that, that's a bad combination for offensive linemen when you're trying to cut off a guy that weighs 350 pounds and he's fast or just as fast as you are beating you to a spot and then pushing you backwards. It's, it's a bad combination. Right. Um, Aren't most offensive linemen over 300 pounds now? Yeah. Okay. But, so but, but, but they're running at us. We're okay. trying, you know, you know what I mean? Like there's a difference of, you know, how force meets force, like especially pass blocking, we're standing still and they're running full speed at us, you know, and then in the run game, we're more running sideways. Right. So 350 and quick is impossible to some degree. To some degree, I mean, if you watch the Bucks games a lot, he's getting double teamed a lot, oh, a right. lot, a lot, because he is such a problem, especially in the run game. I want to say this and be on the record, that I would be worried about the running game, except I really like what Taylor showed, and so I think Taylor's the guy, and I think Aaron Jones will be the backup along with Kenyon Drake. They'll, those are the three. That's it. And if I hadn't seen last week, I, I would be concerned, but – he looked good. Yeah, no, I like Taylor a lot. I liked him when he got his first action against, what was it, Kansas City? Yeah, I can't I think he, yeah, he got his first action, I think, against Kansas City, and I really liked him there. So I think he can, he can get 15, 10, 15 touches, maybe a little, and then if Aaron Jones is okay, get him another 10 to 15 touches based on how the game is going, obviously, right? Like, I still think this is going to be a Jordan Love-dominated game, and as it has – as most of them have been, because again, we're not very effective at running the football. So I think it'll be a Jordan Love dominant game. But then Jason brought up another great point, hence why I love to talk about the injuries with him, because he's there and he and he sees guys and he gets to talk to guys. Very thin at wide receiver all of a sudden. Yes. Right? We, we, now that we, we worries go, Wicks worries yeah. me the most. But yeah, we go we, from we talking about with the injuries. Yeah, we go from talking about how good we like our young receivers and we do like them. I think they are good. And they're getting better. But if half of them are playing at 50, 60% or not playing at all, we have a problem. We have a big problem. So, yeah, I'm a little concerned about, you know, the pass game. Even though I think Jordan Love can make things happen, I'm worried about the guys running the routes and catching the passes. I wanted to ask you, explain how the defensive line didn't get sacks against the Giants. I think the sacks had been like three, six, and nine. I, watching the game, thought whenever there was any pressure – the quarterback via all of a sudden just started running, and that may have been a reason why there were none. But nobody seems to buy that, or they say I'm overselling that. How do you have none? No. Yeah, I mean it, it, it kind of blows my mind. And I talked about this on Wildy and Tausch the other day. I, I think the D linemen they saw the sack number and they thought this is going to be a turnstile day. We're going to get home all day, and and they just like I said, I don't think that they. Like I said earlier on the show, I don't think that they anticipated the fight that they were going to get is, is what I think. And it's the same thing with an offensive line that's really bad. Hey, they're, they're going to come to try to play. They don't want to get embarrassed on Monday night football in front of a national audience, right? Like they got pride too. And then I think the other thing they probably did was under, underestimate DeVito's speed, I, I would have to imagine. And the rush plan didn't seem conducive to what they were trying to do, right? So – it looked Good early. Point. It looked early like they were just doing whatever they wanted, trying to get home. DeVito was getting out, and he was running. And then they kind of adjusted, and then they were playing to contain him, and then no sacks were happening because guys were staying in their rush lanes. 
and they weren't trying to do anything crazy or try to get out of their gap. So it, it was kind of a perfect storm. And he only threw it 21 times, right? He only had so many cracks at the table, and we didn't make the most out of it. And it was just kind of a combination of those things. And I, I've, I mean, like I said, I before, I love Rashawn Gary. I love watching him play. I mean, his energy, his effort, um, his skill, it's so good. And he didn't even look like himself against the Giants. Like, it was wow. it was very, very um, disappointing to watch. And I'm, and I never say I'm disappointed with Sean Garrett because I think he's a hell of a player and I love watching him play. Um, I think he's one of the best young pass rushers in the league. But it just seemed like he wasn't playing. It, it, it was just weird. Um, it was weird for me to watch live, and then it was weird again for me to watch it on tape. Because even uh, when he tack- doesn't get sacks, he's just always creating pressure or offense. Yes. And yeah, there weren't he's always any pressures. No, he's always around the quarterback, and he just wasn't there. So with that, I have to tip my cap to the Giants tackles for having a plan. They had a plan, and, and they executed it well. So as much as I don't like to talk about other teams' O-lines, I have to do it here, and the Giants had a good plan. They ran the ball effectively to kind of help those guys out up front. DeVito ran the ball effectively, obviously. And then they only really put DeVito in harm's way. You know, he had 21 attempts, but he obviously ran some of those that were dropbacks. But they really only put him in harm's way, you know, you know, 21 to 25 times. So, like, yeah. they, they, they had a good plan against a Packers defense that they knew are coming in to get sacks. They want to hurry the quarterback. They want to harass the quarterback, and they didn't allow it. All right, game balls. How many game balls have you been, have you gotten in your life? Um, I've probably gotten around eight to ten. All right, we will get to those and the Bucks, but it's going to be a short fourth quarter. We might have to call fourth quarter the two-minute drill. <laughs> yep, my fault. Next. Welcome back to the Homer Hour on 94.5 ESPN. Everybody needs an automatic place. You have it happen every now and then, and it's kind of a pain. So you need that place you can believe in. Fisco Auto Body on Forest Home and Franklin. Fisco Auto Body on Forest Home and Franklin. Go there. You'll like them. And then you'll thank me, Homer. Uh, it helps my reputation. They're that good. It's a family business owned since 1931. It's not what they do. It's who they are. So by the time they're doing it for you, they've been doing it so long that it's easy. They don't tell you it's easy, but the work that you see informs you it must be as good as they are. Fisco Auto Body on Forest Home and Franklin. Fisco, Fisco, Fisco to remember their name. All right, uh, again, some big issues. The things screwed up after uh, the game last night. Giannis scored 64. It turned out that the Bucks kind of messed up, or Giannis messed up, his brother messed up, because they had the right ball. There are, as I didn't know this, I don't know how many football game balls there are. That depends on the team. But you have the ball you play, but they always have a second game ball in case something happens to the first one. But the one that Giannis wanted was the first one, the one they played with, and he actually had it. He didn't know they had it or somehow they got messed up and thought that they had given that one to the player of the Pacers who scored his first point in NBA history. So um, it seemed, I, I would guess, uh, that Giannis's brother might get suspended for a little bit or something like an elbow into the uh, uh, the general manager or whatever. But they, none of it seemed to needed to happen. But anyway, it made me think about game ball. So um in the NFL, like you win a game, there, is there automatically always a game ball? What's the reality of it? Uh, I just assume uh, I don't know how players feel about it. Yeah, normally, normally after a win, there's game balls passed out. With Mike McCarthy, no game balls were passed out uh, right after the game, like Coach Lafleur does it. It's normally in team meeting on Monday. 
and then they make a ball with the date of the game, uh, the score, and kind of what you got uh, recognized for. How many game um, balls lot, are there? If is it a certain uh, just for a, sure? Uh, there's there's always going to be at least one on offense and one on defense okay. normally because when you have a big win or a good win there's an outstanding performer somewhere and then obviously when milestones get hit as well those get passed out Aaron got a lot of those we'll put it that way um, but normally a lot of the times like offensive linemen would only get it if we pitched a complete shutout against a top player um, another time you don't get the- much respect. Is that the offensive lineman when you get to the first of all, guys? Understand you don't get any game balls. You get screwed on game balls. You just don't don't get upset by it. Did you get told yeah. told that by any veteran offensive lineman early on? Yeah, right away. Cliffy and Touch. They said, "Oh, oh lineman don't get game balls." And if we do get them, it's normally a group game ball. It's normally like an offensive line game ball for the whole group. All right, Not when Rogers are far, when Rogers gets his hundredth game ball, do y'all go boo? No, you don't do this. Or do you not uh, give 